Good morning. My name is Pastor Ryan. If you do not know who I am, I will be filling the pulpit this morning as our senior pastor is absent this morning. And I am just delighted as always when I get a chance to preach the word, I uh, I get excited. I get very excited because uh, I love God's word and I love proclaiming his truth. And I want to share with you a story. If you're a history buff, you probably know about this, but I didn't till this week. June 1779, British forces established a base called Fort George on Penobscot Bay in part of Massachusetts, which is now a present day Maine. In response to In response, an American naval armada composed of 44 ships sailed from Boston on July 19th, 1779 to retake Penobscot Bay. That was the mission. The American troops landed and besieged Fort George in late July of that same year. However, there was a controlled dispute between the land force commander, Brigadier General Solomon Lavelle, and expedition commander, Commodore Dudley Saltonstall. The result of this dispute and other disagreements allowed the British to hold off the American troops until a British relief fleet arrived. The Americans, being unprepared for this force, scrambled to retreat. This event is known as the Penobscot Expedition and is considered the worst American naval defeat until Pearl Harbor, 162 years later. A squabble between leaders resulted in the loss of a battle and the loss of lives. Pride caused them to be ill-equipped, unprepared, unready. What about you? I have one question. One question this morning. Are you ready? Not ready for the day, not ready for the job, not ready for whatever lays ahead, but ready for Jesus' return. Now in your heart, you might be ready to jump up and say, oh yeah, I'm ready, let's do this. And I I feel you. I know where you're coming from. It seems like every day the world gets worse and worse and I'm just, bring it, Lord. But I want you to carefully consider this morning, are you ready for Jesus' return? Our text is in Luke chapter 12 and I just wanna set the stage a little bit for you. Jesus by this time, is moving toward Jerusalem, toward the crucifixion. He's making the journey. He hasn't gotten there yet, but he's making the journey toward Jerusalem. And as he's traveling, of course, he's he's teaching along the way. He's doing miracles. He's arguing with Pharisees. That's what he did. The disciples are with Jesus. And of course, wherever he goes, he draws a crowd. So he's teaching. And in Luke chapter 12, His teaching is centered around the the fearing of God rather than the fearing of men. Here in in Luke 12 is where the parable of the rich fool who stored up treasure and then told his heart to take ease. You might remember that. And what happened to him? God said, tonight your soul will be required. 
Jesus goes on to teach about not being anxious about our life because God's going to care for you. Rather, store up treasure in heaven. So I'm laying this foundation because I want you to see that the course of events, the course of Jesus' teaching naturally leads into our scripture this morning of being ready for Jesus' return. So we're in Luke 12, considering verses 35 through 48. Luke 12, 35 through 48. Please follow along in your Bible as I read. This is Jesus speaking. Stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning and be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast so that they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will dress himself for service and have them recline at table and he will come and serve them. If he comes in the second watch or in the third and finds them awake, blessed are those servants. But know this, that if the master of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have left his house to be broken into. You also must be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Peter said, Lord, are you telling this parable for us or for all? And the Lord said, who then is the faithful and wise manager whom his master will set over his household to give give them their portion of food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. But if that servant says to himself, my master is delayed in coming and begins to beat the male and female servants and to eat and drink and get drunk, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and at an hour he does not know and will cut him in pieces and put him with the unfaithful. And that servant who knew his master's will but did not get ready or act according to his will will receive a severe beating. But the one who did not know and did what deserved a beating, will receive a light beating. Everyone to whom was given, much was given, of him much will be required, and from him to whom they entrusted much, they will demand the more. This is God's word. Are you ready? This morning I want to present three ways from our scripture this morning that we can be ready for Jesus Return. How do we prepare for Jesus' return? Here's your first point. Set your minds on the imminent return of your master, Jesus Christ. Set your minds on the imminent return of your master, Jesus Christ. Verse 35, Jesus is addressing the, the people and he says, stay dressed for action, Stay dressed for action. That's, that's literally gird up your loins in the Greek. It's the same phrase that's used in Ephesians 5.14 when Paul tells us to fasten on the belt of truth. Back in these days, the Jews, they would, wore, they would wear long flowing robes. They lived in the desert. They had to protect themselves from the sun, of course. But when it came time to go to work, when it came time to go to battle, they would gather up that material and they would put a belt on and cinch it down so their arms and legs could move freely as they had to run or work or fight or whatever the case may be. So it was a common saying back then to gird up your loins. It meant get ready in a sense. That's what Jesus is telling us. Stay dressed for action. Gird up your loins. Get ready and stay ready. 
The lamps, he says, keep your lamps burning. Lamps, of course, are used for light. I know, that's brilliant. Lamps are used for light. They didn't have electricity, of course, you know that, so they would light lamps so they could see in the dark. You couldn't be ready to do things in the dark if you didn't have light. So Jesus is staying, saying here, get ready and stay ready and be watchful. Look at verse 36. And be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast so that they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. If, you, if you've read the Bible, you've come to church for a while, you understand that, that during Jesus' time and even before then, there was a lot of master-slave relationships. You would have a master of a home, and often, of course, we would be a rich man, and he would have servants or slaves. And it was this slave's job to, to of course, tend to the food and tend to the welfare of the home and do different things around the house. And when the master would leave... It was the servant's job to keep the house ready for his return. And that would include things like keeping the lights on. If he was traveling, he would come home home hungry. They would have a meal prepared for him. They would open the door so he could come in and take his coat if he had one. Take the horse or the donkey to the stables. And he would come in and he would eat. But the idea was that the servants were ready for their master's return that they weren't sleeping, that they weren't off doing something else and could not receive him when he came. And so Jesus is painting that same picture for the disciples and for us to say, be ready as a servant is ready to receive his master. Stay ready. There's mentioned in this something interesting in verse 36. Everybody see, when the master comes home from the wedding feast... Now, that's interesting because in other parables, Jesus is taking us to the wedding feast. And there's some debate about what's going on here. This can't be the same wedding feast because Jesus is not coming back from the feast because when he comes back, he comes back to take us to the feast. So some have guessed that maybe what he's talking about there in the wedding, with the wedding feast is, I'm coming from heaven to get you and take you to heaven. Perhaps that's what that's referring to. There's some debate on that. But the point is, he's coming. He's coming. And he says in verse 37, blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will dress himself for service and have them recline at table and he will come and serve them. Did you catch that? The master comes home finds the servants ready, then he dresses himself to serve them. Now that blows my mind because literally, how much more can Jesus do? If you stop and you think about the life that he lived, if you stop stop and think about what he left, paradise, and the life he chose to live poor, unfair by the way. Jesus' life was completely unfair. He was totally perfect and constantly rejected. Then we have the suffering. Then we have the cross. Then we have the wrath of God poured out in him. 
how much more can he do for us? And yet the Bible says when he comes back, he's going to serve us? Wait a minute, what's going on here? Jesus actually takes on the role of a servant when he comes back for us? John Piper says, why would Jesus be portrayed as a table waiter at the second coming? Because the very heart of his glory is the fullness of grace that overflows in kindness to needy people. Did you catch that? The very heart of his glory is the fullness of grace that overflows in kindness to needy people. Jesus will serve us out of his kindness. He will serve us through his kindness. Think of everything that we inherit because of what Jesus did. He is serving us by his kindness in what we receive from him. What I don't want you to walk away is, the fa- is this idea that Jesus is going to be a servant running around making sure we've got everything we need. Not th- that's not what the scripture's saying here. He has served us and he continues to serve us by allowing us simply to be where he is. Don't, don't lose the image of Jesus as king. We will worship him forever and ever and ever. But there is a sense that he will serve us for eternity, and that is just mind-blowing. Verse 38, if he comes in the second watch or in the third and finds them awake, blessed are those servants. The Jews actually divided their night into three watches, from 6 p.m. to 10 p.m., 10 p.m. to 2 a.m., and 2 a.m. to 6 a.m. So what he's saying here is if he comes back late or late, late, and he still finds them awake, Blessed are those servants. Be watchful, be ready, receive the master. Then he goes into another parable in verse 39. He says, but know this, that if the master of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have left his house to be broken into. You also must be ready for the son of man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Here we have a warning not to fall asleep, a warning not to be unready for the return of Jesus Christ. A funny parable because Jesus compares himself essentially to a thief. Now think about this. If you knew that you were going to get robbed tonight, some of you guys out there, you'd be like, I'd be sitting in my favorite chair with my shotgun. I feel you. Others of you would be like, at least I'm calling the police. But you'd be ready. Somehow you'd be ready. And that's the point that Jesus is trying to make. I'm coming back. Be ready. We know he's coming. We just don't know when. Matthew 24, 36 reads, but concerning that day and hour, no one knows not even the angels of heaven nor the Son, but the Father only. First Thessalonians 5.2, for you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. Revelation 16.15, behold, I am coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake and keeps his garments on. Jesus is coming back. Jesus is coming back. I want you to leave with the encouragement that your master is coming back and I want you to be ready. We just don't know when. So don't believe anyone 
who says otherwise. Don't be deceived. You hear this stuff all the time. I hear this stuff all the time. People predicting the return of Jesus Christ. Don't believe it. He will return, but no one knows when. Many people thought it would be the year 2000. That was 21 years ago. Who remembers Y2K? Do you remember that mess? Everybody thought, or not everybody, but a bunch of people thought it was pointing to the return of Jesus Christ. It didn't happen. There's a psychic named Gene Dixon who said he was going to come back in 2020. Certainly felt like it, but he didn't. There's a man named F. Kenton B. Shore who says he's coming back in 2021. He's got three months. These are three months that you can plan to do whatever you want to do, by the way, because he's not coming back. There's a physicist named Frank J. Tipler who says he's coming back in the year 2057. I don't know how these people come up with these things, but I'm here to tell you, don't believe it. No one knows. And I think that's part of the image why, why Jesus uses a thief, because the time frame is completely unknown. We don't know when he's coming back, but we do know he is coming back. Are you ready? Furthermore, Matthew 24, 24 tells us, for false Christ and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. Not only do we have people out there who are claiming to know when or can calculate when Jesus is coming back, we have people actually claiming to be Christ himself. And I'm here to tell you again, don't be duped. You might think to yourself, I mean, is anybody really gonna claim to be Christ besides somebody who's mentally insane? Well, believe it or not, according to Wikipedia, at least 28 people in the 20th century claimed to be Jesus. That's just the people who had some kind of influence. Who knows how many others claimed to be Jesus, but at least 28, and among them were people like Charles Manson, David Koresh, Sergei Tarop, who's a Russian man that claims to be Jesus, still living today. So far in the 21st century, eight people are listed on Wikipedia who claim to be Jesus Christ. Among them is a man named David Shaler, who's a former MI5 officer who now makes YouTube videos claiming to be Jesus. Don't believe it. And you might think to yourself, well, that's a no-brainer. Of course, I'm not gonna believe that. But Jesus says in Matthew 24, 24, that they can, if possible, lead astray even the elect because as time goes on, these people are actually going to come to a point where they can perform miracles and signs and wonders and it might come into your head, what if? So as time goes on and things become more convincing and someone or some people arise who may be very convincing of what they're saying, I'm here to tell you now, don't believe it. However convincing someone may be, don't believe it. And let me tell you this, when Jesus does come back, it will be unmistakable. There will be no what ifs in your mind. We will meet him in the sky. When your Savior comes, you'll know it's him. Think about the servants who would receive their master. They knew who their master was. Any imposter, any imposter, they would recognize immediately. And we should be the same. Any imposter, imposter we recognize immediately and don't 
believe what they're telling you. Jesus is coming back. We just don't know when. So set your mind on the imminent return of your master, Jesus Christ. And let me add a few things. Here are four things that we can do to be ready for Jesus' return. Four things we can do to be ready to set our mind on the fact that Jesus is coming back. Number one, get saved. Get saved. You have to do that first. If you are saved, if you have embraced Jesus Christ by faith, awesome. You're on a good path to being ready. If that's not you, if you question your salvation, or if this whole idea about Jesus and his return is completely new to you, then I want to urge you to consider giving your life to Jesus Christ. Here's the bad news. We're all sinners. Here's the worst news. Sinners go to hell. Here's the good news. Jesus paid for that. And simply by turning to him and saying, I repent of my sin, I believe in you, you can be saved. Salvation is a repentance of sin and belief in Jesus. We also say salvation is the ABCs. It's admit the fact you're a sinner, believe in Jesus Christ, and confess him as Lord. And if that's you this morning, I wanna urge you to take that step. And I'm gonna be around and our elders will be around later after the service and we'd be happy to talk with you if you have questions about a relationship with Jesus Christ. But get saved. I know the majority of you out there and I know you've already done this. I believe you've already done this. So awesome, praise the Lord. What else can we do to prepare for Jesus' return? Number two, live with urgency. Live with urgency. Treat every day as if it's your last. If he was coming today, let's say he was coming this afternoon, how would that affect your speech? How would that affect your actions? If we did know when he was coming, how would that change us? Live with urgency. Number three, pray for gospel opportunities. Pray for opportunities to share your faith with those around you. And number four, don't grow weary. Don't grow weary. The older I get, the easier it is to do that. The longer I remain on planet Earth where things are turning from bad to worse to worse to worse, the more I groan. But don't get weary. He's coming back. Are you ready? So set your minds on the imminent return of your master, Jesus Christ. Here's your second point. Set your hands to serve faithfully. Set your hands to serve faithfully. Verse 41, Peter said, Lord, are you telling this parable for us or for all? Now, to remind you why Peter is asking this question is because everywhere Jesus went, he gathered a crowd. People gathered around Jesus all the time. He was known as the healer. And people gathered to hear him teach. People gathered to, to be healed. People would bring sick people to him. So there's always a crowd around Jesus. And Jesus at times would talk to his disciples and at times would talk to the crowd. So Peter's like, I need some information. Poor Peter. 
He's always needing information. Are you talking to us? Are you talking to everyone? I need some answers. When Jesus, in Matthew 19, was telling the disciples how difficult it was for a rich man to get into heaven, it was Peter who spoke up. Peter who said, see, we, the disciples, we've left everything and followed you. What are are we gonna have? Peter was always asking questions. He always needed information. Poor Peter. And it's interesting, you may have caught on this as we were reading the scripture earlier. Jesus doesn't say yes or no. He doesn't give him a direct answer. Instead, he goes into another parable. You know, Jesus often did that. Jesus would, uh, somebody would ask him a question and Jesus would, would go into a parable or he would ask a question in return. Rarely ever did Jesus just say things plainly. Why not? Because he wanted these people to think. Jesus wanted his disciples to think this through. So he gave them another parable. In verse 42, the Lord said, who then is the faithful and wise manager whom his master will set over his household to give them their portion of food at the proper time? I kind of wonder what Peter's face did at that moment. Okay? He doesn't answer Peter's, answer direct, or he doesn't answer Peter's question directly, but he is saying, Yes, it's for you. Yes, it's for all. I'm coming back. I'm coming back. He says, who then is the faithful and wise manager whom his master will set over his household to give them their portion of food at the proper time? The word manager here in verse 42 is the word oikonomos. And it means trusted servant. It means chief manager. It's in a sense kind of like Joseph was in Potiphar's house who oversaw everything. And Jesus is saying this manager is the one who's responsible to feed the other servants. This manager was also actually responsible to conduct business in the name of the master. So yes, Peter, I'm talking to you, future church leaders. Yes, I am speaking to you. There's a direct application here to Christian leaders who oversee God's church. So leaders, and I'm speaking to myself here, lead well. You are responsible for the people of God, and that's exactly what this parable is pointing to. There's a direct application to how we as leaders of the church serve God's people. Our master is coming back. What's he going to think of our service? But the other disciples are not excluded here. God has given every single one of us a ministry. And your ministry might be big, your ministry might be small, but when you put your faith in Jesus Christ, he does give you a responsibility. So men, how are you discipling your family? Women, how are you discipling your children? Singles, are you looking for somebody you can disciple? Empty nesters, are you discipling your grandchildren or others? God has given each of us a ministry. I even heard a story one time 
Another pastor, this was years ago, shared a story about a young teenage girl who grew sick and was bedridden. She was a believer. Her contact with the outside world was zero. But another Christian encouraged her and said, make a list of people who don't know Christ and pray for them every day. So that's what she did. She died later, but they found that list and every single person that she'd prayed for had come to know Christ. I share that with you to tell you that we all, no matter what our circumstances are, we all have a responsibility. And part of getting ready for Jesus is to set our hands to serve faithfully. Whether God has put a large ministry, such as an entire church into our hands, or a small ministry, such as one child, or one neighbor, or someone to pray for, it's still a ministry, and God has given it to you. And to be ready for his return, serve faithfully. I want to encourage you this morning. Serve like a pig. Normally, it's insulting to call people pigs, but I'm not insulting you. Serve like a pig at breakfast because the chicken contributes, but the pig is committed. So yes, commit. Verse 43, Jesus says, blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. Translation there, rewards are coming to those who serve faithfully. Rewards are coming to those who serve faithfully. Listen, Managers, fellow believers, God has a massive estate and he's given a portion of it to you and his estate has nothing to do with land. It has everything to do with souls. Manage God's estate well, whether you have 100 acres or just a tiny portion, manage it well. Are you ready? Keep making disciples. That's the essence of what I'm saying. Set your minds on the imminent return of your master, Jesus Christ. Number two was set your hands to serve faithfully. And now a warning, point number three. Set your hearts to refuse worldly distractions. Set your heart to refuse worldly distractions. Distractions. Look at verse 45. But if that servant says to himself, my master is delayed in coming and begins to beat the male and female servants and to eat and drink and get drunk, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and at an hour he does not know and will cut him in pieces and put him with the unfaithful and that servant who knew his master's will but did not get ready or act according to his will will receive a severe beating. But the one who did not know and did what deserved a beating will receive a light beating. Everyone to whom much was given, of him much will be required, and from him to whom they entrusted much, they will demand the more. 
sobering. There's, I want to unpack this a bit. First of all, there's a direct application here to unbelievers. There's a direct application to those who refused, to those who did not receive Jesus Christ. The parable here pictures the person who ignores the master's return. And only an unbeliever would ignore the master's return. Anyone who rejects Jesus fails to recognize that he's coming back. They're not ready. They're not being vigilant because they don't believe. They're indulging in worldly pleasures because they don't think he's coming back. They're distracted. They're seeking for meaning elsewhere and ignoring that Jesus said, I'm coming back. Not only that, but they're mistreating others. You probably saw the verse, beating the male and female servants. What is that talking about? It means they are not being a great influence. The unbelievers who have been given opportunities to know about Jesus are instead rejecting him, and because of that, their influence on other people is evil. Maybe they're not physically beating. That's not what the text is suggesting. But they're having a negative influence on the people around them. Let me give you an example. There's a, there's a, a ministry leader. I, I love listening to him. His name's Rob Reno. He does a lot of teaching to families. It's good, solid, biblical teaching to, to uh, turn families into uh, loving and, and stronger. He tells a story about his father. His father was an atheist for 80 some odd years. Only at the tail end of his life did he give his life to Christ, praise the Lord. But his father was an atheist because a teacher in his youth looked at him, this teacher was an atheist, and looked at him and said, remember this, there is no God, the Bible's not true. That influence, that influenced his dad for 80 some odd years. So the people around us who have rejected Christ, they have a negative influence on the people around them and God will hold them accountable to that. Punishment awaits. Look at verse 46. The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and in an hour he does not know and will cut him in pieces and put him with the unfaithful. This is why I say there's a direct application here to unbelievers because this verse 46 is telling us about eternal punishment. Hell, the lake of fire, Revelation 2015 calls it. Hell is a real place. And I'm sure you've heard other people say, people even who claim in Jesus tell you that hell is not real. I'm here to tell you hell is real. And people who reject Christ, people who do not receive Jesus Christ, go there. I don't want to scare anybody. But I also am not going to ignore what the Bible says. There is punishment, and Jesus even talks more about punishment. Look at verse 47. And that servant who knew his master's will but did not get ready or act according to his will will receive a severe beating. But the one who did not know and did what deserved a beating will receive a light beating. 
The idea here is that in hell there are degrees of punishment. Scripture actually teaches there are degrees, there are levels of punishment in hell. Matthew 10, 15 says, truly I say to you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town, the town that rejected the disciples. Hebrews 10, 29 says, how much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who is trampled underfoot the Son of God? Of our verse Luke 12, 46, John MacArthur says this, to whatever degree they knew the truth and failed to respond, their judgment will be proportioned. There are degrees of punishment for those, for whatever degree a person knew about Jesus Christ, for whatever degree a person had been witnessed to, for whatever degree a person had read God's word, for whatever degree a person had been exposed to the gospel and rejected it, their punishment in hell will be proportioned. That's sobering, I know. That's what the scripture teaches. Hell has degrees of punishment based on how a person, how much a person knew the truth and yet rejected. But note that ignorance is no excuse either. But the one who did not know and did what deserved a beating will receive a light beating. A hard truth that for those who did not know the gospel and yet die without Christ, their eternity is still hell. Yes, a lighter degree, but hell nonetheless. And you might think to yourself, as, is, as I'm tempted to do, you might think to yourself, this is unfair. Romans 1 teaches us that creation itself should be enough to cause a person to question. Romans 1 gives us general revelation. Creation itself should be enough to cause a person to consider a higher power, at least. And if a person considers, there's gotta be something else out there and searches for it, I believe God will lead that person on a journey. But if you want to talk about what's unfair, I've already mentioned it, but I'm going to mention it again. Jesus' coming was unfair to him. His life was unfair. His death was unfair. The fact that he had to face the wrath of God. Do you realize that as Christians, you will never face the wrath of God? Do you realize Jesus died a death that even if you die in this world, you'll never die like he did? I'm not talking about the cross. I'm talking about the wrath that was poured on him. He took that for you. You will never experience that as a Christian. That's unfair. And yet he did it. So this is a warning to unbelievers to get ready to take that first step of belief in Jesus because punishment awaits. I told you there's a direct application in this passage to unbelievers. However, there is a secondary principle in this passage. Just as there are degrees of hell, I'm sorry, degrees of punishment in hell, there are degrees of reward in heaven. Faithfulness results in rewards. 
Some of us are going to get into heaven and just be dumped on by the treasures of God. Others are going to get into heaven and have a few pennies. But we won't lose our salvation. Romans 8, 38 says, For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. You can't lose your salvation. You can't. If you put your faith in Christ, that's a done deal. But we still can have loss of reward. 1 Corinthians three fourteen says, if the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. What the verses are teaching us is that there are degrees of reward in heaven, and the degree to which you are faithful to Jesus Christ, your reward will be proportioned. If you build on the foundation of Jesus Christ, you build your life on the foundation of Jesus Christ and you are faithful to him in the ministries that he has given you, your reward will be proportions. If we build any part of our life on anything else, we'll suffer loss of reward. What does that look like? Failing to take gospel opportunities. Laziness with discipleship. Our families others, small group, misteaching God's word. Well-intentioned pastors and well-intentioned Christians have ripped passages of the Bible out of context and said that they say things they don't say, which is why we need to know our Bible. Pursuing our plans in this life instead of God's. How much time have I wasted seeking my dreams rather than getting on board with what God wants for me. These things result in loss of reward, not loss of salvation. And the Christian who is distracted with the world is not fully ready for Jesus' return. Let's face it. The world has a lot of apparently cool stuff. And it's easy to get distracted. But the Christian who gets distracted will suffer loss of reward. And I'm here to tell you, stay faithful to Christ. Give him your all. Are you ready? I can't help but wonder what would have happened at Penobscot if the leaders had simply done what they were supposed to do and work together? Would they have been ready? Would things have gone differently? Would it not be considered one of the major American naval defeats? Maybe. We'll never know. But we do know that they were not ready because of the way they behaved. What about you? Are you ready? Have you set your mind on Jesus' return? Have you set your hands to serve faithfully with what he's given you? Have you set your heart to refuse worldly distractions? Let's pray.